This is Barry Zelma speaking for Claim School Incorporated with a new episode of True Crimes of Insurance Fraud, number 18, entitled Sweet Daddy's Mercedes. I present these videos so that you can learn how insurance fraud is perpetrated and what is necessary to deter or defeat insurance fraud. This video blog of true crime stories of insurance fraud, with the names and places changed to protect the guilty, are based upon investigations conducted by me and fictionalized to create a learning environment for claims personnel, SIU investigators, insurers, police and lawyers better understand insurance fraud and weapons that can be used to deter or defeat insurance fraud. Speaking of Big Daddy's Mercedes, the young lady was 18 and beautiful. Young men chased her. Old men drooled. Middle-aged men bought her presents. She graduated from high school with a solid C-minus average. She read on a sixth grade level. She had a limited vocabulary and no employable skills. She could type ten words a minute using one finger on each hand. A computer-controlled telephone system threw her into a panic, and a voice-over-internet protocol system made no sense. Dictating machines confused her. Photocopy machines hated her. Email was an enigma. She had one skill. She pleased middle-aged men. They felt young in her presence. She knew instinctively what to say to make them happy. They, in turn, wanted to make her happy. Her one skill got her the job as Big Daddy's administrative assistant. She would get Big Daddy coffee in the morning. She'd go to the corner and buy the morning newspapers. She rubbed his neck when he was tired and sharpened his pencils. She carried his dictation tapes to his secretary. Every Tuesday and Thursday afternoon, she and Big Daddy would visit a local hotel, and she would give him pleasure. Big Daddy paid her twice the salary he paid his professional secretary. He also gave her a Mercedes 500 SL automobile. Big Daddy was so impressed with her services that he put title to the Mercedes in her name. At age 18, she owned a $150,000 automobile and earned $110,000 a year. She lived comfortably in a two-bedroom apartment in Cambridge. She was happy. When she was happy, Big Daddy was happy. Big Daddy had a wife and four children. He had no intention of leaving, so every night Big Daddy went to his house and she went to hers. She became lonely. Cambridge is a college town. She would go out to eat in the local restaurants and sit around the bar watching television and getting to know the local college boys. 
She did not understand their discussions of literature or philosophy, but she knew how to make them happy. When Big Daddy would go away for two weeks on a business trip, she became very lonely. On those lonely weekends, she would sometime take a college boy home with her. One of the college boys, a senior who had grown up in the least affluent section of South Boston, became an infatuation. She thought she loved him. He was poor. Even after he graduated, he would not get a job as good as hers. She knew she had to keep Big Daddy happy. If she did not, she'd lose her apartment, the car, and the fine clothes. She might keep the young, handsome college boy, but she would be hungry for the luxury she enjoyed. She told him of her concerns late one night as they cuddled in bed. He had an idea. They would drive the Mercedes to Mexico and sell it for the best price they could get. Then they would come back to Cambridge by Amtrak and report the car stolen. With the money she received from the sale of the car, added to the money from the insurance company, they would move to San Francisco and start a new life. The plan was foolproof. Big Daddy had paid her insurance premium. The college boy even read the policy to make sure theft was covered. He knew that she barely graduated from high school. She knew her college boy was smart. She knew he was smarter than any insurance company. She knew he was smarter than Big Daddy, who only wanted her around to make him feel young. She wanted her college boy. She wanted him happy. He needed the money, and so did she. She agreed. The next weekend, the two of them drove to El Gato, Mexico. They sold the Mercedes for $50,000. The used car dealer gave them cash. This they carried over the border on foot. They took a bus to Brownsville, Texas, just across the border, and then caught a train to Boston. A shuttle took them from the station back to Cambridge. The college boy told her what to tell the police. He then went back to his dormitory room at Harvard. The insured called the Cambridge Police Department to report the theft of her car. She told the police that she left it parked on the street in front of her apartment with the alarm set. She said she heard no alarm. When she awoke the next morning, she walked out to drive to work only to find her car missing. Two bored policemen wrote down the information given by her. Big Daddy had the license plate number and vehicle identification number of the Mercedes. She promised to telephone the officers with the numbers. Although it was only 10 a.m., this was the fifth theft report the officers took since they came on shift at 7 that morning. There were no suspects, there was no evidence to follow up, and all they could do was to put the identification of the Mercedes in their computer and hope the thief made a mistake. The policeman gave her a receipt, including the report number on his report, so she could give it to her insurance company. After the police left, she called Big Daddy to inform him that the Mercedes had been stolen. He sent his chauffeur to pick her up and bring her to work. He then called the insurance broker, who immediately reported the loss to his insurance company. 
The adjuster visited her at the office and took a brief recorded statement from her about the facts of her discovery of the theft. He obtained very little information. He was unable to concentrate on his work and his questioning because of her cleavage. The adjuster checked his sources, determined the value of the Mercedes was, as a used car, $90,000. He believed this was going to be a simple claim. All he had to do was fill out two forms, a proof of loss and a report to the National Insurance Crime Bureau. Reporting thefts to the NICB was automatic and computerized. The adjuster was sure that within a few days he could issue a check in the amount of $90,000 to the young lady. She could buy a new Mercedes with the check. The NICB records in its computers all stolen vehicles because many car thieves take their vehicles across the border to Mexico. NICB has agents in Mexico who record, li record license and VIN numbers on any U.S. automobiles that they see in Mexico for more than one day. An NICB agent spotted the Massachusetts plates on the Mercedes in the used car dealer's lot the same morning that she reported the theft to the Cambridge police. The numbers went into the computer, and when the adjuster reported the theft to the NICB, the computer immediately matched his number with the number recorded by the agent in Brownsville, Texas who visited car dealers in Mexico daily. The agent went back to the used car lot to verify the car was still there. It was. He interviewed the dealer. He told the dealer that the car had been reported stolen. The dealer claimed shock. He was a legitimate businessman. He did not buy stolen vehicles. He showed the NICB agent the ownership certificate signed by the insurer. He wrote down her driver's license number that he used as identification to prove she was the owner of the vehicle. The agent reported his findings to the adjuster one day after the proof of loss was signed and minutes before the check was to go out in the mail. The adjuster had in his hands a photocopy of the ownership certificate. The insured's signature was on that certificate transferring title to the Mexican car dealer. An NICB agent and the adjuster visited the insured at her office. They told her they needed to interview her a second time. They asked for a private conference room to record a second statement. She agreed. They confronted her with the ownership certificate. She was too young, too innocent and not bright enough to lie anymore. The college boy hadn't told her what to do in such a situation. She began to cry and told the whole story. She agreed to sign a paper withdrawing her claim. She begged them not to report her to the police and would never do anything like this again. The adjuster and the NICB agent told her it was out of their hands. The law forced them to report her to the Bureau of Fraudulent Claims. It would be up to that police agency and the Massachusetts Department of Insurance to decide whether she should be prosecuted. 
the Bureau of Fraudulent Claims, armed with the recorded statement of the insured admitting to attempted insurance fraud, presented the case to the district attorney. The district attorney told the investigators he needed statements taken by police investigators of the young woman, her college boy, Big Daddy, and the Mexican car dealer. All of the witnesses refused to talk to the police agency. Big Daddy had found a lawyer for his administrative assistant who advised her not to speak. The same lawyer represented the college boy. The Mexican car dealer refused to speak to any American police officer. Big Daddy would only admit that he made a gift of a Mercedes to his administrative assistant as a bonus for her excellent work. Since the district attorney could not repeat the work done by the NICB and the adjuster, he refused to prosecute. No one was hurt. The insurance company didn't have to pay. The local prosecutor was under pressure from the DA to have a 100% conviction record. He had 12 cases to try where real people suffered physical injuries as victims of violent crimes. There were witnesses that saw the crime happen. Why, he reasoned, should he take a chance of losing his 100% conviction record? Why should he prosecute a pretty woman who tried to cheat an insurance company? The insurance company spent more than $90,000 on paper clips every year. It just wasn't worth it. Big Daddy punished his administrative assistant. He made her promise she would never see the college boy again. He made the college boy give him the $50,000 and use the money to buy his assistant a less prestigious $45,000 Cadillac sedan. The district attorney went on to try burglars, armed robbers, murderers, and keep his 100% conviction rate. Everyone lived happily ever after. This video was adapted from my book, Insurance Fraud Costs Everyone, which is available as both a Kindle book and as a paperback from Amazon.com. Thank you for your attention.